Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. All right, what is going on, people? You know that sound is the unfiltered band. It means, yes, another episode of Unfiltered coming your way here and now. This officially will go down as episode number 130 of Unfiltered. As always, you can jump on board the Unfiltered Revolution anytime at Casey Stern on Twitter. Jump into Twitter, get into the bio, hop on the YouTube channel, like, subscribe, watch the videos, all the interviews, conversations, and the free agent breakdowns for the last few days as well as we hit the hot stove portion of the baseball season right here at Unfiltered. And thank you, as always, to our good friends at the Unfiltered Band. Uh, You are friends, Apple, Spotify, and everywhere else where you get us here on the podcast. Thank along as we do our good friends at Bet Online who present this show each and every day. Basketball's back. Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season. You always get the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends over at Bet Online. It's your continued source for all your sports wagering information. Bet Online's got live betting, free contests, and giveaways all season. Season long, it's always the fastest and easiest way. But all your favorite sports and events, whether it's NFL, NBA, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, even golf, it's simple. Head over to betonline.ag. That's betonline.ag to join. Receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use the promo code BELIEVE, that's B L E A V, to receive your rewards. It's Bet Online, where the game starts as we get started here with this uh, latest edition of the free agent carousel. And uh, I'm going to call this uh, a tier two because we're talking about the second tier of free agents after you get past the DeGroms and the Verlanders and the Carlos Rodons and certainly Aaron Judge on a position player standpoint at the forefront of all of that. Really, everybody after that is on that tier two spot. And we'll get some added depth to it between now and when I see you next is the non-tender deadline coming up today. So whether it be the Cody Bellingers or some others who could be, uh, you know, potential free agents to add into the mix with some interest and with some upside to them, we'll take the list as it is now. And I'm not going to hit on every name, but hit on some of these second tier guys. I want your thoughts as well. A couple ways to do it. You can get into the YouTube comments if you're watching here on the YouTube side. You can get in on Twitter. Tweet at me at Casey Stern. Get to me in DMs. I'm curious all of your thoughts on kind of which guys here in this mix that we're going to get into today give you the best opportunity for upside. Because when you're talking about free agency, you're trying to do a couple of things. You're trying to pay dollars out for what you're getting instead of what a guy has done in his career to that point. Sometimes you're going to have to pay the price of an extra year, maybe even two. You look at Edwin Diaz's situation we've talked about here on the show already with the Mets. You think about what's coming up with the age that Verlander is, the age and the injury-prone nature of uh, Jacob deGrom. You're thinking about the extended years out to the end of Judge's contract, as great as he is with his age. And you're going to have concerns about what you're going to net at the end of those deals. And you're paying for that. But the performance in the years that you think you're going to get, whether it's six out of eight or the four of the five or the two of the three, depending upon what the ages are, where we're talking about on the field or on the mound, you're looking to get and pay for the top dollar for the top performance. You're not looking to pay for a steak and a butter cake at Mastro's for the quality of what you get at Outback. And you're certainly not looking to pay for a steak and a butter cake at Mastro's and then find out that they moved in the meat and the chef from the Outback or from Arby's, even worse, right? You're looking to get that performance now. It's why you go out to a great dinner. It's why you go buy a nice house, why you get a nice TV, a nice car, a boat, whatever it might be. Well, in these worlds, we're talking about the investment of players. You're looking at the performance at the highest level. 
And some of these guys offer that. And that key word that you're looking for is upside. You want upside. We talked about it with some of the pitching guys. When you talk, if you think about the guys like, you know, look at Andrew Heaney at 28 years old, and I don't know necessarily what I'm getting, but he's 28 years old. And Carlos Rodon, certainly, you know, with some maybe injury questions, but he's only 30. So what about the nature of what I can get out of him versus a Tyler Anderson who was 35 or Jacob deGrom in his mid-30s or a Verlander at 40 years old, right? You're looking for that upside. You know, what can I get? Taiwan Walker, who's still in that mix at only 30, was a guy the Mets bet on and you look getting, what, 10 mil a pop on a, on a great deal after what he had done in Seattle because people still had questions of whether or not he could be durable. And, you know, even though he, especially two years ago, tailed down the stretch of the second half of the season, we saw durability in that deal with the Mets and they far outweighed everything that they paid, but you had the upside going in. There were things and stories you could tell of how that guy is going to elevate and then develop to yet another level. And that's what you're looking for with these free agents. That's what you're looking for. One thing you're going to hear a lot today in this conversation we're going to get into is how much having the designated hitter in both leagues is changing up where you see the upside of some of the higher aged guys where you're not sure really what kind of defenders they are now. In some cases, you're not sure where do you want to hide them defensively. Can they play that position anymore? Do you want to have that taxing and grueling nature of them playing every day, even if it's at a first base versus a DH or a third base in one case specifically, or a DH or an outfield in one case specifically versus an everyday DH? And versus where, you know, you'd have to sit there and certainly, you know, because you didn't have it in the National League. But even in general, we used to live in a world where, yeah, you, you got to kind of hide a guy and go for your defensive replacements. You think about what, the way back machine of only a couple of years ago, and I'm not talking about what happened off the field, but in signing an Ozuna, and it's like, okay, with the DH coming now, okay, I can put him there. I don't want to put him in the field, right? So unless you got to put guys in the field. Look, Kyle Schwarber used to be looked at that way, and then he wasn't even the guy that was getting defensively replaced at times. You know, so look, it changes, but the DH offers you more. And at the forefront of that is a 36-year-old named Jose Abreu. Jose Abreu is a guy who I remember being there, and I was there the first day. I had the pleasure of, of being at some interesting camps and in spring training to see the, the debuts of some special talents that came over. And I was there for Roldis Chapman the first time that he pitched. I was there for the first two times that he pitched. And that was a scene and memorable, even in a spring training outing. But I remember I was there for the, I was right behind the batting cage in spring training in Glendale. The first time that Jose Abreu stepped into the cage or batter box of any kind in the States as a member of the Chicago White Sox. After signing a six year deal at what, 60 million, I think it was the first deal. And it's like unbelievable. You think about, at the time, the Pirates and some other teams that were playing in on him, it wasn't a lot of money. Imagine how he could have changed franchises. This is a guy who you know, became a, a near-perennial MVP candidate. And you saw in the first time that I ever saw him in a cage what has made him so special and become the calling card for his career because he's a terrific hitter. But the fact that he's a hitter with power. So the home run numbers that are going down and the home run numbers you may not get, and depending upon what kind of park you're in, they may go even further down. Even at 36 years old, you know you're getting a guy who in this day and age, there aren't many guys who can go all fields and hit. And I remember, I'm not trying to get on Avisail Garcia, but Avisail Garcia was in the cage before him. And they took, you know, two or three reps each, uh, sets of you know swings and you know, all that. 
And I remember it vividly. All these guys were sitting there and beat writers and folks covering it like I was at the time at Sirius XM. And and they're sitting there and they're, they're eagerly waiting to see what this guy looked like. And everybody wants to hit, see him hit bombs. Big dude. You, you hear about you know, all the prowess and, and you know, how he can hit. And he was Avisel Garcia coming in and he's pulling because of all the attention that was being paid to Abreu. I think part of it is only in spring training, but he hitting bombs. I mean, like out of the park in Glendale. I mean, you know, off to the other, the other side of the Dodger complex, seemingly, if you've ever been there, I mean, that's how far he's hitting these balls. Now, Jose Abreu came in and Jose Abreu's first few swings are opposite field gap, opposite field gap, opposite field gap, center field, center field, pole, pole. I, I mean, literally, we're talking about a guy who, and I, I've, I've seen certain guys handle their BP this way throughout their career. Paul Goldschmidt, by the way, just won an MVP, congrats, is another guy who does this this way and always has his whole career and got a ton of power. But these are guys, they want, they're hitters. And that's how Jose Abreu approached everything. He became such a leader. You talk to people, you want to talk about reverence. You know, there, there are certain guys I've covered over the years that I, I've seen reverence at a different level. There was a reverence at a different level for David Wright. There was a reverence at a different level for David Ortiz when I covered the Red Sox. There was a reverence at a different level for Adrian Beltre, the years that I was close to the Rangers during those runs. There's a reverence that's different for the Chicago White Sox players, their, their, the White Sox organization and families and everybody involved, anybody that's ever touched and felt that organization that I've talked to. And I got, I got friends who've been in and out of there. And even with him only for a year or two, they just can't stop raving about him when you bring it up about Jose Abreu. This dude going to add something. There are going to be a lot of teams that are going to be in on him. You know, he's not coming to bring you, you know, 40 home run season. He's not coming in here to play first base. He's going to be a DH somewhere, but that dude going to change the way people look at hitting in that lineup. He's going to change the way people handle themselves in that room. He's going to be a leader for you. He's a game changer. You think about Kyle Schwarber, what he did, look, different type of personalities. Kyle Schwarber with the Phillies. You think about what Anthony Rizzo, who he was with the Cubs, what he is now with the Yankees and just went back. And that's part of why they, they gave him that extra year and that money because they know that Jose Abreu bringing that somewhere. I'm a, there's high end upside in the years. Now look, you want to give three years to a 36 year old? Probably not. You probably have to, but I think you're going to get high end from Abreu as a hitter. And he's an example setter. There's another guy at 36 years old who to a lesser extent and way more with an injury concern with what's happened now in two separate seasons in his career is Michael Brantley, Michael Brantley. It's funny because this this last time in this World Series run, if you listen back to some of the comments afterwards, you had players talking about how a guy who wasn't even playing had such an impact on the team. I watched that unfold when I was following Cleveland the year he's out and hurt. The only times I've ever seen that kind of impact from guys who were hurting out was the year that Adam Wainwright went down earlier in the season and everybody thought the Cardinals were done. And he was like everybody's biggest cheerleader with the pom-poms as they made a World Series run and got to a World Series. I think the year they lost to the Red Sox. I think it was that year. Maybe it was Texas. I think it was the Red Sox. Then the other one is, is the Brantley situation. We the same thing in Cleveland. I mean, this is a guy who Justin Verlander talks about ad nauseum with, uh, speaking of reverence, unbelievable reverence, talking, hitting, and learning about how to approach hitters, just discussing it with Brantley when he came over. Michael Brantley's a stud, all right? This is a dude who is a left-handed bat, who knows how to hit, who's going to be a DH for you, who maybe just comes over as a DH against... Righties, you know, I, I don't know how much he can play. Even as a designated hitter, you're going to have to be careful. You know, you, there's obviously a lot of age. There's concern. 
Are you looking at a one-year deal? Is somebody willing to give him a two-year deal? Is there an option for us? You know, I don't know what he's looking for. But at 36 years old, there's upside, too, for what he's bringing to your baseball team and bringing in the room. You know, the Yankees already got enough DHs, but if they didn't, wow, would a Michael Brantley be amazing in that batting order? Is Somewhere down, you know, at this point in his career, I don't care if he's hitting 6-7 and playing three, four days a week, there's something that guy does to everyone else who is around him, and he has had that impact for a long period of time. Uh, Red Sox, I mean, there were a lot of teams that really, you know, especially if you got younger players like Boston does, th th this guy is a everything rubs off on everybody else kind of dude. And Michael Brantley's interesting, even at 36 years old. Even at 36 years old. Josh Bell brings a different thing to the table because, you know, he could play first base if you need him to, certainly more than the last two in terms of defense if you have to, even though he's not great. But he's a switch hitter, and he's only 30. Now, how much are you going to put into what happened with Josh Bell with the Padres? You know, look, first of all, he came out of it a bit in the postseason, had some big hits, had a huge homer off Scherzer. He kills the Mets. I mean, he'd be a factor, uh, you know, for me, if they were looking for you know somebody to add to the DH mix, and certainly not going to play a lot of first base, but it just is a DH, and I don't know, you know, how much first base he expects or wants to play. But Bell is a guy who can really hit. And, you know, he had the weird season when he first was an All-Star, and I remember covering it, you know, in, in being at the All-Star game, and he had a great first half in Pittsburgh, and then he fell apart. You know, last year, kind of an unbelievable start. Slow down the stretch, but then built back up. So he may not ever be a second half guy, but his splits were so much better last year. And so even Steven from a switch inning side as a 30 year old, Josh Bell's a dude you got to look at. Trey Mancini, 31 years old. Uh, the story speaks for itself. The leadership that comes with that speaks for itself. But he's got some holes. Did not have a great year even before he came over. This was not a couple of years ago. And, you know, with Baltimore, when, you know, he's sitting there and putting together all-star performance, that wasn't the kind of year he had. And then when he came over, I mean, look, you know, he made a terrific play at first, not even a good defender, he made a terrific play at first base down the stretch. And that was really the biggest impact that he had, but they couldn't even Dusty put him in the lineup every day because he just wasn't coming through. Now, you know, he may have been exposed in a team like Houston and may need to be more of a guy who plays every day as a DH for a second division team, helps out a younger team inside the lineup. But Trey Mancini is going to be a guy, especially because so many teams look to find hitters and power against left-handed pitching. He's going to be a guy people will look at 31 years old. Justin Turner's 38 years of age. 38. I don't know how much you want to play him at third base. He could still play it. I don't know if you want to shift him over to second base. In a pinch, he could play it. At first base, certainly he could play it. But with the designated hitter now both open in both leagues and the ability to just have him stuffed in your lineup... I'm telling you, there are certain guys where ain't a better hitter than Yadier Molina, who's going to be a Hall of Famer for a different reason. But I bring them both up because there are certain hitters that you cover that it's like, dude, it doesn't matter what the hell's going on in the season. These guys hit great pitching, and they get big hits against big-time pitching. Justin Turner gets big hits against big-time pitching. I don't know how many years that he's sitting there in that Dodger lineup when they had Beast. I mean, Beast behind him in the Ethiers and the Kemp, and then Beast in the Machados, and then Beast in the Betts and the Freemans. And there were guys that were, were better than him, seemingly. But there's a reason he got all those postseason records and marks, because it seemed like every single year, the toughest that bat when you got into that batting order, the toughest dude to get out, the toughest guy to keep your pitch count efficient and keep it down, and all of that was to get out JT in the red turn two. 
you know, terrific guy. I mean, now what a Clemente winner in addition to, I mean, this is a guy who really is everything you want in an example for a ball club. All the things we talked about with Jose Abreu and Michael Brantley and Trey Mancini. Here's Turner bringing all that upside and no people downplay that sort of thing. You can't downplay that sort of thing. It's important. Yeah, I mentioned this, you know, in a pod we did yesterday, you know, if the Mets really considered Alvarez as a, as a catcher yet or ever, I, you know, I'm not sure where they sit with that, but if, if they did, I mean, Nito was just a gold glove candidate and we seemed to hit way better than we thought during most of the year. But if Alvarez was ever going to catch, you know, Turner is a compliment, you know, perhaps to a guy like, you know, a Vogelbach and to sit here and maybe even, you know, play more so every day as a DH and, and be another bat in that lineup who does buckish kind of things, even though he's not bringing the thump necessarily you might want. Homers are down, but gap hitting and the doubles and still there. Uh, Turner's just, look, this is a tough AB. This is a guy who knows how to win. He's going to find himself on winners. He's a bet, way better player then David Freeze, a guy who ended up being his teammate for two years, and a guy who after a year he said to the Dodgers organization, you better bring him back. Way better player overall than David Freeze. But all the David Freeze things that he used to bring to teams late in his career, including both in California, over near L.A., one in it in the Dodgers, one near it, five freeway with the Angels, all those sorts of things are now at this point in his career at 38 what Justin Turner is going to bring. He's going to bring big hits. He's going to bring winning mindset. And he's going to be a big pickup for somebody. He's not going to be a big pickup to hit third in somebody's order. He's not going to be a big pickup to play every day in the field. But he's going to be a big pickup for somebody. Now, are you giving him a two-year deal at 38 years old? Are you going to be willing to give a second year based on, you know, accolades that you got to do to earn that? I'm not sure. But Turner at 38 years old, an interesting guy. I mean, it's, it's weird talking about upside levels at age, but we're not talking about upside in terms of they could get better. But I think we're talking about upside outside of statistically because Abreu and Brantley and Mancini and Turner are all bringing those sorts of things to you. All of them. J.D. Martinez, 35 years old. How much does he have left in the tank or big years left in him? You know, Here's a guy who we know can thump. He's a guy who could put fear in an order. He could still get hot. Could be another interesting name to look at. Uh, Mitch Hanniger, you know, how much does he need to DH now to stay off his legs? Can anybody keep him healthy? Because when Mitch Hanniger is not overcoming an injury, and it's not about just during the season, people, you got to realize you know, players will tell you, don't take it from me. I learned it from listening to them. But when they go into off seasons where they're rehabbing an injury and then they're, you're never, you're always chasing the game, like you would say in hockey, right? But this time, the game of health, it, can you get this guy healthy? where he's just out there in a routine and getting a chance to hit because Mitch can hit. Hanniger can hit. Only 32 years old can hit. Going to be a name to watch. And then, you know, to me, from a youth standpoint, when you think about outfielders and you think about where you, you are, there are two guys. You got a Ben Attendee at 28 and a Brandon Nimmo at 30. Ben Attendee, to me, still fits for the Yankees. And, you know, I, I know what... He just started to kind of pick it up and hit better and be more like himself and to, to show the advantages that he brings to the table um, right before he got hurt and then was done for the year. But, you know, is DJ LeMayu ever going to be the DJ LeMayu that the Yankees ever had? Forget about, you know, not being healthy, but he wasn't performing that way. The Yankees need more. It's why they were so desperate to bring Rizzo back. You have to assume Judge returns, but it's not enough. And they were so missing bats, bat on ball skills and ability to get on base and make things difficult for an opponent early in a batting order. And it's what pressed you to have to have a judge at the leadoff spot that you didn't want to have. And to have to do things like that and say, hey, look, one, two in the order. Otherwise, you know, we're screwed, right? Ben Attendee, a guy who, to me, 
for the Yankees fits, but he fits anywhere. I mean, Ben Attendee is a guy who I think in a lot of different spots. Look, you know, if Nimmo prices himself out to the Mets, look at a Ben Attendee and play Marte in center and say, hey, look, we replaced, you know, a guy in, in Nimmo who, you know, had his speed and, you know, play the outfield and give us, you know, that that front end with Marte and some kind of a one-two punch kind of thing, the table set for Alonzo Lindor and company, and play some Ben Attendee. It's possible. There will be a lot of teams that I think will be in on Andrew as long as, you know, healthy and, you know, everything checks out with all of that. The Brandon Nimmo situation is interesting because I love Brandon Nimmo. It, it is, I don't care if you're a Met fan or not, and clearly, I, you know, I'm always, I am, right? But even if you're not, there, it's hard not to love Brandon Nimmo. I mean, the guy smiles his ass off no matter what is going on in the face of any kind of adversity or whatever it is. He's reminding you what, to me, you want to be reminded, and that's baseball's a game. It's supposed to be fun. You're supposed to have a good time playing it. And this dude, I mean, he's happier than a pig you know where every day playing this sport. And you love that about him and the energy. But the improved defense, the ability to get on base, the ability to hit tough pitching. Look, you know, he and Jeff McNeil stood out as the best two ABs for the Mets, even in those bad series against Atlanta, even in the series they busted up and went home against San Diego, even during those stretches when Nimmo's been healthy and his durability was the biggest question that he answered this year, not only answered it, but answered it playing center field every day where he had been moved off previously at times in his career into corners and wasn't thought to be a better center fielder than a Marte was. And I don't know necessarily that he is or if it's more about keeping Marte off his legs, but Nimmo turned into a way better defensive center fielder. He's way more viable playing center field now somewhere else. He's one of the best leadoff hitters in the game. Now, look, especially with the new rules, you want to see the guy steal more bases because he's got the speed to do it, and he just doesn't. I think he had one at the end of the season that I remember, and maybe not more than that. You'd like to see him use that more, but he's one of the best leadoff hitters in the game. If you don't think so, you're not paying attention. You're not paying attention. This dude's in 9-10 pitch at-bats constantly to open games. Letting the guys in the on-deck circle, don't take it from me, listen to hitters, what that means. See that pitcher. See relievers when they come in. He's getting big hits. He's getting hits to all fields. He's getting hits with power. Brandon Nimmo's a dude. He hits good pitching. He's hit great pitching. Go listen to Scherzer talk about matching up against him. This dude knows how to hit, and he's confident, but not in a cocky and arrogant way, in a way that's going to have a great effect on your baseball team. That being said, the rumors and the reports in the last 24 hours that he's getting north of six years and $130 million, I don't think the Mets can pay him that. I don't. If you're the Mets, at some point you've got to prioritize something. Now, their hitting needs to be better than it was last year. Down the stretch, it looked dead. All those things that Mets fans are going to tell you. But that's in part figuring out where Alvarez fits in because he's supposed to be an answer, right? That's in part figuring out where that fits in. Does he fit in anywhere? Where? Buying a plate as a DH every day, right? I don't want to hear if he DH and just against lefties. He's got to play every day, or you're going to play in the minor leagues. Yeah, sitting on the bench, you're a backup catcher. That's that's not to me what is best for him. You got to see pitches. You got to get into it. You got to go into spring training. You got a chance to win a job. But is that going to be there for him? 
You got a Marte you can move over to center field if you need. Most teams don't have that, and the Mets knew that when they got Marte in there. Now, I think you got to keep Marte off his legs, keep him in the corner outfield, because if I want him using his legs, I want him using them on the new rules with the bigger bags, throwing over to first only twice. Marte led the league in stolen bases only three years ago. But when you are, are prioritizing and you gave, and they did it right, Edwin Diaz got to get done, got done. $100 million, that's $20 million a year. All right, deferred money on the end, I get it. But you spent 20 million this season, okay? Jacob DeGrom is going to cost you $45 million on your books this year, next year, the year after. If you don't sign him, you're going after Verlander, going to cost you 40 to 42, whatever, this year, next year. And then you're looking at a Rodon who could cash you, cost you 30 for four or five years. He's only 30 years old. There's only so much money. You still need to either bring back Adovino or bring somebody else in or go through trade to fix the back end of your bullpen. As I said, if, if Alvarez is not going to be your DH, you got to go get one. The, the Mets cannot pay all of those things. I did, you know, look, priority Diaz, DeGrom, and then go give $150 million to Brandon Nimmo. Now, look, I like Scott Boris. I've talked about it before. I have a good relationship with him. I always have. He gets a short end of the stick from a lot of people who just don't get it. Right? He's not telling, you know, look, he made mistakes. Everybody does. But he's not telling his clients, you know, things that he thinks are going to hurt them. Like people way overblown with half of that crap. But he's going to try and get paid. Brandon Nimmo didn't get Scott Boris to not get paid. Now he wants to be a Met, but he wants to get paid. So where's Toronto? Where is St. Louis? Where are the Yankees? Where are the Dodgers? Where are some of these other teams who could be in on Nimmo, Cubs? Some of these other teams that could be in. Red Sox, I mean, there's a bunch of them, right? Where are they going to be on how much they're willing to give a Brandon Nimmo? Because I can't get into a bidding war and be forced to pay $150 million. Now, if I'm the Mets, I got to say to Brandon Nimmo, if somebody else want to pay $150 million because they don't have to pay to Grom or they're not good enough to go win a World Series and you're their dude, well, God bless you. You got to go do what you got to do. But I can't do that because if you want to come back here, part of the reasons you want to win a World Series and I can't pay you all that and pay DeGrom and pay Diaz and pay a DH and pay an eighth inning guy and pay and pay and pay and pay. Can't do it. Can't do it. That is good. If, if those, no, you never know. Trust me. I had a situation, I've talked about these many times, but one specifically with the Mets of a player that that fan base booed for it's seemingly eternity thinking that he had turned down like $100 million, he never got an offer. The team never even wanted him back. And that's just one instance I could think of. In New York, controlling the media and the perspective and the perception is something that agents and teams are both in a battle to do all the time. So I don't know if the numbers are real. I don't know where they cut. It certainly doesn't hurt Scott, you know, Scott Boris, to have those numbers out there. But if Brandon Nimmo getting $140 million... The bad news is I don't think the Mets can do that. Because even if DeGrom doesn't come back, they got, they cannot. Look, Max Scherzer, you saw him at the end of the year. You still got Bassett hanging out there. Walker probably not coming back. You know, Carlos Carrasco picked up the option. Okay, maybe David Peterson, fine. But your three got to be way better if you're telling me Carrasco at the I don't know level at 14 mil and then if Peterson or your four or five. That's not enough. Not enough. They already not going to have the depth of last year. Bassett, Walker. Williams, all those innings gone. Lugo, Adovino, list goes on. You know, paying Edwin Diaz only one thing. 
So I, I think it's it's a good news scenario for other teams who are looking at Nimmo if those are the numbers it's going to be because I think the Mets will have a hard time matching that. And, and you got to understand it. Now, is Nimmo going to take less money? He certainly doesn't have to. But don't think, if he tells Scott, here's what I want to go, that's where he's going to go. I, I reckon this many times, but, you know, Scott Boras not telling Bryce Harper to take a 13-year deal at that age, at that prime of his career, an MVP caliber player. And by the way, they need win one a year later or two years later, right? With Philadelphia, it's a dude, he getting offers of $40, $50 million a pop for three, four years by the Dodgers and the Giants. If he would have taken those, gone back out to free agency but before this past year, you know, kind of money he'd get? He's going to do whatever the client wants to do. Brandon Nimmo wants to be a Met. I think we get that. I think we know that. But I, the extent of, of you know, where dollars play, you know, look, it's, you know, it's only $20, $30 million. Remember, the you know, Mets are supposedly they've got to pay for everyone, got to do everything. They had the George Springer situation a couple of years ago, speaking of outfielders, where they were only like $20, $25 million apart, and they weren't going to do it. Now, Brandon Nimmo, clearly their own player, but George Springer was a World Series MVP. Steve Cohen going to spend, but he's not going to spend like a drunken sailor. He's going to spend like a dude who wants to win and has a plan to win. And if DeGrom fits within that, he's going to do it. If Nimmo then fits within that, he's going to do it. But if he's got to lose Nimmo to keep DeGrom, he's going to do that too. Going to do that too. Always good to have you on board doing this with us. We'll continue on the free agent carousel. We've got a lot coming up. Jim Duquette going to jump inside the front office with me, talk about off-season trading and wheeling and dealing on Monday's show, which will be episode 131. You always can catch me at Casey Stern on Twitter. Hit me up on YouTube in the comments. Please enjoy your weekend. Please be safe. Treat people you care about with kindness. Don't hold on to bitterness. And in this angry world with people who are fake and all this stuff, be proud of who you are. And be proud of the people you love. I'll see you soon. We always love to say this, unfiltered, as always, brought to you by our good friends at Bet Online. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.